Hi, my name is Nicholas A. Cusado, and this is the Biomedical Engineering News, and today is January 25th, 2020. Today in the world, we have a coronavirus update. Get that out of the way. Uh, the sound of the 3,000-year-old Egyptian mummy's voice, benchmarking deep learning architectures. Uh, researchers find new th 30 new genes linked to autism and your biohack of the day magnets implants in your fingers pretty cool we'll get to that later but just want to say grateful to be here today is going to be a great day let's go all right, y'all know it's spreading the viral infection. Started off in China, but now it's in America. Two people have it, and what can you do about it? Well, just wearing a mask while traveling, ward off illness, reports ABC News. And well, it started off, um, like, you know, it's, how does it transmit between people? And uh, surgical mask does limit the spray of germs, which is not only polite, but helpful. Um, but it depends on, uh, you, gotta, you gotta go all out. You know, there's a little benefit to wearing a surgical tight mask, but it may even put you at greater risk of spreading infection, reports an infectious disease doctor. You know, it's not practice for the CDC. Um, there isn't a lot of data to support that if there is any benefit to wearing a mask in the public setting. It's currently unclear. So if you want to do some research, maybe we can do uh, something like that one day. That would be pretty cool. Um, if a patient starts to develop symptoms, a surgical mask has been known to... Yeah, we get it. A surgical mask. I would... I. Wear an N95 respirator. If you wear them properly, the work uh, breathing is very difficult and should not be worn for a long time. But uh, that's only recommended for healthcare personnel. Um, so, whatever. Uh, USA Today um, is fear mongering. They say it's right here in America. And, um, you know, it's going from state to state. Now it's in Chicago, I guess. From how does it go from? Yeah, but um, yeah, they they estimate that it's uh, infected 4,000 people. Um, and yeah, I think it's silly because then you got American military news reporting say it's up to 9,700 people infected, and it's like. You take a photo and you write an article and you get your clicks. Thank goodness I don't use any other browser besides Brave Browser because they actually, you know, limit all the ads. So I can go on routers and see that the, the death toll rises to 41 while more than 13,000 are infected worldwide. Wait, did, did routers underestimate it? Okay. Well. It was um, traced to a seafood market that was illegally selling wildlife. That's what they say. I, I'm curious. They got snakes. Maybe they're selling the snake. Because um, it's a snake virus, they say. But we got a lot of different reports. You know, they're sending in reinforcements to Wuhan. 
thank God. So they shut off everything, and um, life is good over here in Los Angeles. Moving forward. Yeah, so if you're wondering what Egyptian um, mummy's voice sounds like, let me see if I can play it real quick. Catch that? Yeah. yeah, well, um, Science Focus the website reports the sound of a 30,000-year-old 30, Egyptian mummy voice recreated thanks to 3D printing. A team of archaeologists and engineers fulfilled an Egyptian priest's desire to have his voice heard in the afterlife in order to live forever. Well, Sounds pretty bad, but there's his voice. And the work was carried out by Professor David Howard from the Department of Engineering in Royal Holloway, University of London, and Professor John Schofield, Professor Joanne Fletcher, and Stephen Buckley from the Department of Archaeology at the University of York. And it has been five years in the making. So first they de produced a detailed 3D image of the throat and larynx of Nasayam's mummified remains, which they borrowed from Leeds Museum using a CT scanner at Leeds General Infirmary. And they found the overriding structure and soft tissue in his throat was incredibly well preserved. This allowed them to create a highly accurate copy of Nasayam's vocal tract using a 3D printer. They then hooked the printed vocal tract up to our artificial voice box. It's commonly used in modern speech synthesis systems to hear the Nassam Wolf sound like. Professor Schofield, the voice uh, is such a significant part of being human and every voice is distinctive. As an archaeologist, the opportunity of creating the voice from the past with greater accuracy than has ever been done before was an exciting and unexpected prospect. Yeah, so um, that's cool. Let's move on. Ooh, yeah, this is time. Time. Oh, nope, not that one. Nope. Abstract. Abstract. This is our abstract of the day. Abstract. Abstract. This is our abstract of the day. Abstract. Abstract. Hey. Hey, Mr. All right, this is going to be a quick one. I'm going to read through it. Abstract. To compare different deep learning architectures and predicting the risk of remission, with uh, 30 days of discharge from the intensive care unit, the interpretability of attention-based models is leveraged to describe patients at risk. 
several deep learning architectures making use of attention mechanisms, recurrent layers, neural ordinary differential equations, and medical concept embeddings with time-aware attention with a trained using publicly available electronic medical record data associated with 45,298 ICU stays for 33,150 patients. Baystain interference was used to compute the posterior overweights of attention-based model. Oz ratios associated with increased risk of readmission were computed for static variables. Diagnoses, procedures, medications, and vital signs were ranked according to the association risk of readmission. The recurrent neural network with time dynamics and code embeddings computed by neural ODEs achieved the highest average precision of 0.311. Predictive uh, accuracy work was compared across neural network architectures. Groups of patients at risk include those suffering from infectious complications with chronic or progressive conditions for whom standard medical care was not suitable. Attention-based networks may be preferable to recurrent networks if a interpretable model is required. At only marginal cost is predictive accuracy. Pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty cool. Uh, looks pretty good. Yeah, I'm curious. I ran a neural network today for, uh, it's just a whim. I had a file and there was info and it popped up. It was for precipitation collected across 20 years by NASA. And, um, I got a function. Not really sure what I'm going to do with the function, but MATLAB's great. Time Magazine's reports. Researchers find 102 genes linked to autism in one of the largest studies of its day, its kind to date. Autism spectrum disorder is a complex neurodevelopmental condition that is likely caused by both genetic and environmental factors. As the name suggests, it also represents a range of symptoms and behaviors, all of which makes teasing apart the genes involved quite challenging. Established, published on the uh, a study published on January 23rd in Cell, researchers led by Joseph Boxman, director of Stever Autism Center for Research and Treatment at Mount Sinai, took advantage of better genetic sequencing technology. One of the largest databases of DNA samples from people with autism to identify 102 genes associated with autism, including 30 that had never been before connected with the condition. The study also distinguished the genes more closely associated with autism from those that might also contribute to the neurodevelopmental disorders, including intellectual and motor disabilities. There's 35,000 samples, 1,200 people, um, since 2010. Uh, but what, what are we trying to get from this? Well, ultimately, the genetic knowledge may lead to new treatments for more severe symptoms of autism. But given the range of genetic factors involved, um, apparently 102 genes identified. 
control everything. Activating genes as expressed. Um, these strategies may be more personalized than uniform. So autism is a spectrum. We get it. A lot of different pathways, multiple genes, multiple causes of autism. One person may be needed to treat differently than the other, but and by identifying those genes differently, uh, we are getting closer to a more personalized healthcare for individuals. Thank God. Just stay away from aluminum, guys. You know, I use aluminum free de deodorant. And it's good. All right, biohack of the day, biohack. One shot in this vessel. One shot. Purify the vessel. Purify the vessel. All right, all right. So you're probably wondering why I didn't do an episode yesterday. Well. Here it is. I cut my finger and it was pretty annoying. I was cutting up vegetables and I was tired. And I got home late and well, I had these new knives and I just wanted to really test how sharp they were and they're pretty sharp. So I like had to hold my hand above my head while I put some pressure on it. And it was like a whole ordeal. Just wouldn't stop bleeding. And as I was Googling around, I was like, what can I do to stop the bleeding finger? And somehow I got through the wormhole and ended up with magnet finger, finger implants. And this brilliant article by Gizmodo um, details what you need to know about, it, you know? They uh, talked to Eric Boyd, Boyd, president of Hack Lab Toronto. And um, where, where biohackers are getting their own implants. There's just one picture of a girl with implants everywhere. It looks like she has like in her lips and one in her finger. I don't know. If, I mean, they might be just, uh, you know, what, the thing that you get when you pierce your lips, I guess, a ring. But definitely her finger is a magnet because she's holding up an Oreo. But why would you do this? Besides holding up an Oreo with magnets curled around it. Well, it's interesting. It, it's, uh, it's a sensory experiment. You know, you can sense magnetic fields, pick up tiny metal objects and determine whether metals are ferrous. You know, if you go near a microwave or a stovetop, you can feel these electric fields. You can also tell whether an object, yeah, is this iron? Is this aluminum? I don't know. Just touch it. Well, it's useful to for people who work with electronics. You know, you you uh, can tell if a live wire is live or dead wire. Um, and you can perform little knee tricks, like pick up ball caps and paper clips. Um, and I watched a video of a guy implanting it pretty gnarly. He did it on himself. But uh, yeah, I think there's potential, you know, you can use it as a, as a switch, you know? So I've seen RFID chips in people and they, they um, 
they they unlock cars with their hands, but that doesn't seem even reasonable. I'd rather pick up a tiny screw with my finger. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I wish the screwdriver was magnetic, but you know, it's, it's better to have a finger that's magnetic, I guess, sometimes. So that's pretty cool. That's your bio hack of the day. And uh, I'm gonna leave you out with a little casual song. Um, have I played this yet? Let's try it out. Nah, I have. I'm just gonna play this one. Cause I love you guys.